Well, good morning. How's everybody? Well, the last time I was here, if you recall, uh, at teaching, uh, I had to sit on a stool because my back was so bad. But uh, you can see. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to get too carried away with it. But uh, it's really good to be back with you. You know, uh, Drew and Daryl and I worked for 20 years. Well, I worked for 20 years at Fellowship. They're, they're young boys. But, uh, you know, worship, music, I think touches our soul in a way that nothing else can. And it allows us to express things that are inside of us, at least for a lot of us. Uh, and I want to tell you, Daryl Adcock is the best worship leader I've ever sat under, and I've been under him a long, long time. Daryl, thank you so much. And the same is true with Drew. Uh, gosh, what a sweet guy. Have you noticed? He's just a, he's just a sweet guy. And so trying to build a, a new work, a revitalized work uh, with wonderful worship, and deep transparency, uh, I just think that's, that's a good part of the right formula. And I hope you do too. You know, when you read the Spirit of the Disciplines, if you have, and uh, you, you get a feel for where the author is going with it, what you begin to discover are the disciplines, the, the, the activities that are required of us if we are going to really engage in Christianity and fully experience it. You know, there's a way to be um, superficial in our experience of Christ and our experience of spirituality. Uh, but there's also a way to be deeply engaged and involved. And, and service is one of those uh, critical factors because when we serve God, my experience has been that we begin to understand an aspect of God that we don't see any other way. And so we can, we can sit under a tree and study the Word and be encouraged and be supported, and that shows us an aspect of who God is. But when we're out serving and giving and sacrificing, then we have the opportunity to see God's power at work, not in ourselves, but in others. And there's nothing more encouraging than that. So service is a critical piece of the, the Christian faith. It's also been something that the uh, church has struggled with over the years. I remember, do you remember the 80-20 rule? 80-20 rule, anybody? Daryl does. Yeah. The 80-20 rule is 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Uh, and that's, that's true in a lot of volunteer organizations. You, 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 you can have an easier time getting people to write a check than to go hand out food boxes, for example. Uh, and, and really what we want to work for is the reversal of that. And thank goodness for our children, you millennials that are out there who uh, are stunned when you think of the 80-20 rule because for you, for a lot of you, it's, it's absolutely reversed. But let me tell you about service. So uh, you've seen the bulletin. I, I, after I left uh, fellowship after 20 years, uh, God gave me a new assignment uh, working with convicts, working with felons. And so our organization uh, does pre-release education. Does that make sense? So before they get out, 
We have an educational experience. It's 12 weeks, 240 hours. It's very intense. And uh, we screen the applicants. They have to volunteer to get in, and it's competitive because we don't have enough seats. Um, and so, and, and here's the critical thing, we actually, uh, they actually get on a bus at 7.30 in the morning and drive to our facility and we hold classes not in the unit, but out in the real world. Now you can imagine they're highly motivated to come to that class uh, because it's at least a little time that's not in prison. Well, <clears throat> we found real success in what we're doing. And I've thought a lot about that, trying to understand. I've actually seen more people change, uh, move uh, across the line of faith or move toward God and begin pursuing him uh, in the last two years than I've seen in the previous 20. I'm just telling you, God's working. And, uh, and it's fun. That's lots of fun. So I've been trying to figure out, well, why, you know, what is it we're doing? I mean, I've been doing ministry forever and some things have worked, some things hadn't, and you know it's all up to God and what he's going to do. But uh, from a human standpoint, we try to figure out how we can do it over, you know, how we could do it again. And I've given a lot of thought to it. Here's one of the things that happens. When those inmates get on the bus and they come to our facility, uh, they leave a place of absolute darkness. I mean, it is not a place for the faint of heart. And they come to our facility, and we're volunteer-driven, so there's all these Christian volunteers we've recruited from churches that are there and encouraging them and loving on them and, and uh, little gray-haired ladies that bake them cookies once in a while in the classes. But then they're also in a very rigorous uh, course of study. But over time, here's what's become clear. They start out very distant and uncomfortable with the professionals that we bring in from the marketplace in the church for the first two or three weeks. And then after a while, they start going, y'all really care about us. You really believe in us. You really believe in the potential that we've got in our hearts, in our lives. And it helps me remember what I once dreamed of, what I longed for deep in my heart. And then at 12 o'clock, they get on the bus and they go back to the darkness. For 12 weeks, in the morning, light. In the evening, darkness. Light, dark, light, dark. After about 12 weeks of that, they start going, you know, I think I like these people better. And, it, it's, all, and it's all triggered out of the unconditional love and regard of the volunteers. I, I would love to think we have this, you know, sophisticated, intricate, well-put-together, fancy curriculum we worked hard on it. It's not the curriculum. It's not the language. It's not the words. It's love. It's love. That's what, that's what brings about the change. The other thing, though, that, that happens is that the love is exposed because it's in contrast to other things, right? What I want to talk about today for a little while is the contrast between the world's way of living we see that throughout Scripture, a reference to the world that's, that's not a positive reference, and Christ's way of living. So there, there is a law of the jungle. Welcome to the jungle. Y'all remember that song? 
There, there is a law of the jungle that dominates, you're laughing at me, that dominates uh, the world's philosophy. And then over here is the law of Christ. And I, want, I want to contrast these for you. I want to uh, go ahead and pull the slide up on Romans 128. I want to read Romans 128. I, I, I would love to read the whole chapter, but it's just a little long. But this passage was a key part, played a key role in my own conversion. And so he, Paul has started out talking about why men are estranged from God. And he, he builds up to this crescendo, and he starts in verse 28, and he says, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what, not, what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy and strife and deceit and maliciousness. They are gossips and slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who practice them. Isn't that what we see out in the world? It's, it, it, it's what we see. It's, it's the law of the jungle. And one of the things that convinced me to take Christianity serious is the first time I read that, I thought, oh, that's the way I've been living. That describes my life to a T. So let's take a, 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 give some thought to the, the moral characteristics or the, the characteristics of this law of the jungle. You, you'll know the things. These are all real familiar. First of all, personal survival first, right? In the jungle, your number one concern is surviving and taking care of yourself, bar none. And so it's highly competitive, and it starts out as totally selfish, totally self-centered. It's about me. It's about me having food and me having clothing and me having the list of things that I think I need. And I see everybody around me as a potential threat that who could keep me from from getting those needs, and so I'm, I'm always on my guard, I feel totally alone, and I am constantly have the radar on, identifying what my needs are and which ones I can get to and which ones I can't, and I look at a guy like Daryl, and he's bigger than me, and so I'm going to go around Daryl because I wouldn't win that fight, and so forth. Which brings another one of the characteristics of this kind of living. Only the strong survive. We judge ourselves and each other by that standard. Are you bigger than me? When I was out on the street, that was a big deal. When you were a little guy, you just tried to be crazier than everybody else, and maybe they think you'd be too unpredictable to deal with. It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world. That's another characteristic we've heard, right? Everyone's viewed with suspicion. In uh, the, the uh, last one, I actually saw um, a guy's T-shirt one time that says, he who has the most toys win. Ever seen that? And so if I die, when I die, if I've got more toys than you did, I win. So it's me first, everybody else last. That's, that's pretty harsh stuff, right? Now, for the members of our program, for those who are incarcerated, it is very accurate. It's very easy to see this veneer that is uh, nothing but selfishness um, taken to ridiculous heights. 
but you know, we have our share in this room, don't we? I, I don't mean to be rude. I'm talking about me. But the fact of the matter is, civilization has taken that set of principles and then we've put this nice, shiny, moral veneer over it so it looks good, but underneath it, we're just as vicious or we can be. How many years you've been counseling husbands and wives and, and in the end it comes down to there's a power struggle and they're, they're arguing and fighting over who has control in the relationship. Does that sound selfish? Self-centered? That's why money is such a big deal in marriages, right? Because he who controls the purse strings gets the stuff he wants. And my stuff that I want and your stuff that you want, as I've discovered over the years, is not the same. I, for example, have been longing for an RV for 25 years. Instead, well, we have other things. <laughs> and, so we, and, and so even as we move toward each other in life, we're battling those very things inside of ourselves, aren't we? We have needs. We want to get them met. We have expectations. We have dreams. And so we get married and we expect our spouse to make us happy. And then when they don't, we're going, what's with this? I remember early on in my marriage to Margaret. Margaret and I have been married 30 years. Uh, you haven't seen a lot of her. She has health issues, but you will be seeing her. Uh, but we, we've been married over 30 years. And I remember a few years into our marriage, not too many, we lived in, we were in Maumel, and, and our house was designed so that we had a walk-down um, game room or TV room, den, that's what I'm trying to say. But above the den was the, was the dining room, and there wasn't a wall. And so you could look down from the dining room into the den and see everything that was going on. And the people down there may or may not notice you. Well, Margaret and I had had an awful knock-down, drag-out fight, which we are notorious for. We both have very strong opinions, and, uh, and the veneer of civilization is pretty thin sometimes. And so it's after the fight, and I'm hurting, and I'm pouting, and I'm feeling sorry for myself, and rah, 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 rah. And, and I'm standing up there on the kitchen, and I'm looking at her. Now, my wife is to this day drop-dead gorgeous. And so I'm looking at this beautiful woman whose eyes flashed and, and, and just grabbed my heart years ago. And I'm going, you are never going to love me the way I want to be loved. Never. See, Margaret, Margaret is not a, uh, a highly emotionally expressive person. I tend to be a highly relational person. And so... For me, it was like ch chasing the will-o'-the-wisp, trying to get connected. And so I'm thinking about that. And then I realized there were things she wanted from me, and there was no way I was going to do them. Some of them I couldn't do. Others I just didn't want to do. I wouldn't do. And so I got this really depressed. Have you ever been there? This really hopeless feeling that... that we were never going to get our needs met. And I thought, God, I thought that's what the abundant life was. I thought I'd get my needs met. And in one of those moments um, where 
I don't know if you call it an impression, a message, but it was a clear thought in my head, Paul, that's why he died. Because he was willing to give up everything. Can you love her anyway? Do you have to have a return? Do you have to get back something? Or can you give yourself to her and serve her and ask yourself what you can do to bring her closer to me? Poo! Straighten me out. But see, we all fight this, and so we see them around us and among us that we have civilizations, moral veneer. We see those who upset or take advantage of the norms that are, that are the social norms. Criminals and tyrants are cast out, but, but, but they're cast out because they take even the law of the jungle to extremes, right? We also have those who maintain the appearance of civilized behavior but are characterized by the law of the jungle. And so businesses and corporations have come under tremendous uh, criticism, right, over the last couple of decades uh, because of their self-centered approach to, to um, finances and money and, and the people that they've hurt. And so we see that in corporations where the guy beside you will stab you in the back so he can climb over you up the next run of the ladder. I mean, these are all uh, normal parts of our everyday life. And, and we don't even think of them as necessarily being evil, but they are. So marriages, businesses, the need for control, the pursuit of pleasure, which is all run amok, these are all characteristics of the law of Christ. I mean, the law of the jungle. The law of Christ, though, is very, very different. The law of Christ calls on us to be personally responsible, but other-centered. We're to be personally responsible, but we are to be focused and centered on others. Matthew 22, 34 through 40 talks about this. It says, but when a Pharisee heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the second, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now, this, this simple passage that many of us learned as children, the golden rule, is in direct opposition to the law of the jungle. Can you see that? And so Christ, um, and, and the characteristics of that, stand in direct opposition and so when you think about Christ coming to earth and his incarnation, it's, it, as you dig into that, it's a really, really cool deal because what you find out is Jesus came to reflect the image of God to us, right? And how did he do that? Well, he did it by showing us how to be human because Jesus was perfectly human. And so he modeled and taught what it takes to be human. Interesting. Interesting. And so, uh, let's look at just some of his teaching. I'm going to run through some passages. I'm going to be throwing them at you pretty quick, but I think most of them are familiar uh, to you. John 15, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, if you haven't been exposed to it, 
when the New Testament, the word love is translated usually from agape, which means to seek the highest good of another. It's not ooey-gooey. You may not even like the person. It's not an emotional um, experience of love. There are different words for that. But it is a commitment that if I am around you, I'm going to be thinking and seeking ways to, to act in your best interest, whatever they are. That's very different from the selfishness of the law of the jungle, right? In John 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. In other words, it informed and illuminated truth to them. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A little bit further down in that passage, it goes on to say, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. He modeled. He modeled the way we should live. In Philippians 2, 3 and 4, and again, this is, this is an, a good articulation of the absolute opposite of the law of the jungle. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, there's agape again, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. And so love, the law of Christ, does not require a love that is, that is um, the free-for-all sacrifice of everything for everyone in every moment. There's a balance there. You have to be wise in determining what kind of impact you can have. You have to be wise in knowing when love really turns to permissiveness or enabling. Sometimes love is tough and can even feel mean. Son, you can't live here anymore. You can't behave that way and live with us. And, and man, there's nothing tougher than that, but that's love. Right? Being able to turn to an alcoholic uh, or addicted family member and say, we love you. We really want a relationship with you, but we just simply can't give you more money. We can't enable you. Those things are love as well. And so being able to do that, and so you have this balance. We're going, God's going, you know what? You need to be responsible for yourself. Okay, you need to look to your own interests. And, and those lie in obeying my commands. But also look to the interests of others. Treat them as if they're more significant than you are. Ouch. Really? You mean there's somebody more significant than I am? <laughs> nah, y'all don't believe that, do you? I'm going to wake you up in a minute now. But, but the truth of the matter is, we go all the way back to Adam. We want to be God. That's the law of the jungle, is I'm God and you're not. And... and but the law of Christ, the characteristics of it, the morals of it, 
are diametrically opposed to that. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, Now you know the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever, but whoever would be great among you must be your what? Servant. You want to be first, you're going to have to be last. You want to be great in the kingdom, you've got to be willing to pour yourself out for the sake of others. And, every, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. And, and then here's the real telling verse. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The truth is, we can be freed from the the pulls of the law of the jungle, of the world's economy. Because we know by faith that God will provide for us. I don't have to be bigger than you. I don't have to be tougher than you. I don't have to be faster than you. I don't have to be smarter than you. That's a good thing. I don't have to be particularly gifted and charismatic. All I got to do is love you. And, and my God has promised to take care of me. You've got to be willing to recognize your own weaknesses. Be able to acknowledge and, and deal with your defects of character. You've got to be willing and, and just think of all these commands and how different they are. Uh, Christ calls us to love our enemies. And you tell that to the guys who are coming to our classes from prison and they're going to go, What? I can't show weakness. If I show weakness like that, they're all going to jump on me. Christ says, no, you need to live differently than the way the world has lived. Uh, You want to be first, you have to be last. You have to love one another. We've been given the garden to keep and protect. You can go on and on and on and on and on throughout Scripture. And again and again and again, we are called to trust God let go of control of our own efforts to meet our needs and concentrating on meeting everyone else's instead. Now that's nuts to the world. It's inexplicable to the world. Uh, finally, Christ's example really shows that, that to, to, to be fully human is in itself to be a servant. Philippians 2, 5 through 8, the rest of the passage we read a moment ago. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. 
You see, that's what, that's what God asked me in that moment. Paul, can you love her anyway? Who, when did I promise you to get your needs met? Christ sacrificed all of his needs by his death. That's what he's calling us to. So, but instead, uh, who, who though he's in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and become obedient to death, even death on a cross. Along with many, many, many other passages, this pa- passage clearly establishes our servanthood. And so what did he tell Jeremiah? I knew you in the womb. I formed you. God very intentionally designs us. We can't understand that. I have no clue. I'm really going to be interested to find out when we get there, won't you? How'd you do that? But he's individually designed us, and the inherent design is that of a servant. It's just the way it is. And so if you, if you want to answer those you know, big, hairy questions, why am I here? There's, I know there's got to be a reason. Well, yeah, you're right, there is. And the reason is to use your gifts and abilities to advance the kingdom of God. That's it. It's, it's not to get married and be happy, although I hope you are and do. It's not to have kids. Talk about not, well, never mind. That's a whole other test, right? His purpose for us is to conform us to his, and I'm going to get fired up if you don't watch me here. His purpose is to conform him into his image, to make us holy, right? That means we serve. That's what it's about. It's what we do. It's not just about uh, memorizing scripture, although that's important. It's not just about regular attendance at religious rituals and denominational requirements, although all those things are good. But you can sit and listen and let the truth pass by. You can be engaged in the wonder and the beauty of the theology that we hold to. But if it does not penetrate your heart and it does not begin to change your outlook and your perspective so that you're asking yourselves, you know, that person drives me crazy, but I wonder how I can help. I wonder, I wonder what God is calling me to in this situation. And so I'm, I'm dealing with my wayward son, who I would, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, love to kill. Right? And, and, I, and I want, for all, everything in me just wants to be away from him. But I ask myself the question, but what is in his best interest? And it may be for him to be away. Moving into a life like that, let me tell you, let me tell you, people notice that, right? It stands in stark contrast to everything the rest of the world holds to. And so people go, you're different. By the way, if that black t-shirt made you look handsome, I want one. Just saying. How can I give? 
And so the next thing you've got to recognize is that I think Ephesians 2.10, it's not up here on the board. Ephesians 2.10 says that he's created good works in advance that we may walk in them. And And so he has got clear goals of service for you. The question is whether or not you're going to enjoy them. You can either embrace them or suffer through them. But there are going to be opportunities for you to serve and to give. And then we find in many passages of Scripture, he very intentionally designed us with specific gifts to do specific things. Let's take a look at the passage um, in uh, uh, Romans 12. And uh, I'm going to read, I think, a little bit more than we put, we put on the, the slide. I'm going to start with verse 1. And so I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate that. I'm going to sacrifice myself. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your spiritual worship. That is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. That is the law of the jungle. Instead, be transformed by the renewal of your mind and by that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, you are not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. For as one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. You feel the obligation and the connection uh, and, and, and the web of responsibility? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. If it's in prophecy, in proportion to our faith, is service in our serving to the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes to generosity, one who leads, leads with zeal. I spent a good portion of my career in ministry calling people into service. I loved it when Drew gave me this passage because, or this concept uh, because it's been really important. Finding out what your strengths and weaknesses are. We get caught up sometimes in then there's the spiritual gifts, but then I have natural gifts. And so, is it my spiritual gifts? Is it my natural? What what is it? And I go, yes. Yes. A lot of times your spiritual gifts will flow out of the natural gifts you have. Although God may give you other gifts at your conversion. But the fact of the matter is, there there are administrators in this room who have the gift of administration. There are encouragers in this room whose primary goal in any conversation is to encourage the person they talk to. It's just the way they're made. Uh, There are analytics in this room who want to evaluate everything and make sure it's in balance. And if it's not, to identify the gaps, correct them and move on. Do you see what I'm saying? We need each other. I'm a 60,000-foot thinker. I hate details. I can do them, but they usually trip me up. And if I don't have a good administrator who is committed 
to my success, I will fail. I just will. I've proven it. So we need each other, and we need each other to have a good sense of who we are, to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, but neither dismiss the good gifts that God has given us and ask ourselves the question, what can I do to help? Sometimes we get so caught up in the, the guilt of our sin and the shame, and we feel like we're not good enough, and we compare ourselves to other people. We're not as smart. We're not, everybody's, everybody is gifted. And, and one way to look at God's call to humanity, to all of humanity, is he's calling all men everywhere to, to himself to use their gifts to advance his purposes. You want to know why you're here? That's why you're here. And as we act in that, and as we move in that, as we begin to embrace that, we begin to embrace selflessness and active service and willing sac- and we begin to embrace that, guess what happens? It's a wonderful thing. We feel God's pleasure. We begin to taste what it means to have an abundant life. A lot of us complain all the time because we don't see God working around us. Well, that's because we're working for our own agenda, usually. You want to see the power of God active and vital and, and, and obvious in your life? Go serve. Be praying for other people's car to get fixed instead of yours. Right? And when you, uh, uh, it's just, it's, it's amazing. When you really begin to do that and you really begin to move that direction, you find yourself becoming human. You find yourself finding peace. You, dis- you, you begin to discover the secret that Paul knew. You begin to find the anxiety can, can begin to dissipate. And to the extent that you're taking the attitude, it's me against the world, and I've got to get everything I can get because if I don't get it, it's never going to be mine, and I'm going to me, 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 me. There's a word for that uh, when you get to be my age. It's called curmudgeon. You ever heard of a curmudgeon? Curmudgeons are just snotty, mean old people (laughs) who have no joy in their life. Who have no joy in their life. Christ modeled and taught humanness as it was intended to be. And he served everyone and did it with intelligence and intentionality. He didn't grope around blind. He was very clear in what he wanted to accomplish and executing that. He constantly taught principles that equip us for servanthood. He designed us as servants. We are destined to serve, and our services bring us some of the great experiences of the abundant life that we can have on this earth. I've been working in ministry for 30-something years. Not as long as him. But I've been doing it a long time. And for the many, many years, there were all kinds of mixed motives in that, and a lot of them weren't good. But I've discovered that the secret to being content in difficult circumstances, 
extraordinarily difficult circumstances is by recognizing that, that I am a servant of the Lord. That is my greatest and highest calling. Believers are designed, equipped, and destined to serve. And when we don't do simple acts of service, but instead, uh, be, um, but when we do simple acts of service and become servants, we see God differently. We can observe His power on display more regularly. And like most arenas of spiritual life, God grants us the capacity and the opportunity to seize the day and build on the capacity that we've got. We serve a great and wonderful God. He saved us. He loved us. He saved us. He brought us to himself. He equipped us and released us to do what in our innermost being we want more than anything else, and that is to be useful. So we're at South City Church, and we're trying to build a congregation of spirituality, transparency, and love. That's what we're all praying for. And so it, it, it's helpful, I think, to remember the goal. What is the fruit we're trying to produce? The fruit we're trying to produce by the power of God is love. Not ooey-gooey love. Although I'll take all the ooey-gooey I can get. I'm just an ooey-gooey kind of guy. But the kind of love that is willing to stand in the gap, to take the criticism, to take the pressure, to give when it hurts. If we can become that kind of church, I'm going to be fired up. How about you? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your amazing plan. Um, you just, I thought I'd be growing up by now. And, and yet, Every day I learn more about you and more about your wonderful, amazing plan for us. And so, God, I pray for us. Can I, can I pray for South City Church, for those who are committed, those who are circling, trying to decide, and those who haven't even met us yet? God, I pray that we could present our lives to them as a living sacrifice that we would be renewed in our minds and see ourselves differently. It's amazing, God, how powerful we are when we are in step with you. How much change can be brought about in our lives, in the lives in our community, and even the major social issues that we face when we are obedient and we come in with the mentality of how can we help? And when we see the broken around us, we give comfort and we give love. Dear God, all of us have had experiences, or at least most of us have had experiences, uh, where churches and groups of people disappointed us. God, I pray that we would not be disappointments to you and that we would love each other deeply, that you would help us to learn how to do that, that we would find transparency and sacrificial service would become the banner that we carry. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks for having me today.